This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Tuesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Steph Driver, NHL Queen, NHL League Manager on SB Nation is here. Steph, good afternoon. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I am I'm good. I am I'm good. I I am doing better than um who was it in the gritty video with Katie Nolan? Uh who was that? It's the Nolan Patrick. Well, Nolan Patrick was in that. Um, I finally watched it uh, this morning. Hadn't watched. I saw it was kind of long, so I was like, I just need to find some time to just do that ten-minute um, deep dive into that. And it was as uncomfortable as it looked, especially with. I think you had the screen grabs, right? Of just how I sure did. This. <laughs> I sure um, did, and it was it was art. It was art. I feel bad for him, and also he seems like the coolest most laid back like these hockey players they just i all of them seem like they have the same demeanor this ice cold laid back just demeanor and, and this is mr ham and cheese sandwich guy right like isn't this, it is uh, mr thing? ham and cheese sandwich <laughs> i'm i'm so impressed that you know that i hey i do my research i i unfortunately don't have a life stuff and i keep up with all this stuff and those are little things that i'm like huh and he like when you know when he plays well it's when he has time for two ham and cheese sandwiches two ham and cheese sandwiches that's when he's feeling good patty ham and which cheese. is weird because ham is trash and should always be tossed out whenever oh to you. Uh, that is a great opinion ham is the worst pig meat hands down worst pig meat yes we should drop it from everything. Like, I don't know why we're still having it. Um, sorry, grandmother, who is probably listening to this podcast. We can go ahead and cut out ham. We don't need it at Christmas this year. I will. Uh, let's get some sausage in there. Let's get uh, some turkey again. I don't care anything other than she makes great lasagna. Let's just do lasagna on Christmas Day. We don't have to do ham anymore. Ham is trash. I completely agree. Ham is trash. Ham is but trash. If you're a hockey player, Bacon is it's superior. Great. Well, if it's Nolan Patrick and that's what he needs. I mean, he's from Manitoba, so maybe that's the most exotic food that they get up there. It's it's very possible. But I felt bad for him because as I was watching that, I was like, I don't want to be the like the guy who's just like, if the roles were reversed. But <laughs> if there was ever a guy reporter pulling that shit on, just, I, I don't know. I thought like that was something I just... It came across. It came across my mind. So my, very. Um, I don't know. My thought is uh, that he had to have been in on the joke. So I, I go back and forth. So he had to have at least have been warned, right? Because you can't really 
just run up to a hockey player and hug him immediately. Like that's not a thing right. that they like, <laughs> not a thing that they like. And you could tell he was incredibly uncomfortable. So Nolan is, um, he's, he's uncomfortable in the spotlight anyway. He's kind of a shy hockey player, which is very weird considering his pedigree. Um, so he's, he's uncomfortable kind of in, in media scrums and just doesn't give a whole lot because he wants to get out of there. So he had to have been warned ahead of time. Like this is going to be funny, but I just looking at his reactions, I can't imagine that he was acting that well. I just can't. Like he kept looking in the direction of flyers PR. Like, is this real or is this actually for ESPN? Like I just can't, I can't imagine he's that good of an actor. Yeah. I think it was too. Because he probably thought when they pitched it to him, because I do think they, like you said, they pitched something to him. Yeah. And I think he thought it was going to be way less weird. And I think he, at that point, was like, wait a second, this is just not even close to what I had pictured in my mind. Because he's also like, what, 20, 19? He's still super young. He's like a kid. Yeah, he just turned 21, yeah. He, I I don't know. I could see him just being like, oh, and he probably had no idea who Katie Nolan was before this. And uh, he probably he, did. She's a big name. It, I mean, I don't know. Like a lot of athletes, especially like I don't know, hockey players. Are we sure that they don't have blinders on? Are they like what? I, I don't know. I, athletes, they just don't have time to keep up with all this kind of stuff. They are just so focused on training and working and all this kind of stuff. Like I, I don't know. The athletes I know, I could see him having blinders on and just not knowing certain people and all that kind of stuff. Not a shot at Katie, just that not knowing certain people and just being like, oh, hey, there's this ESPN reporter coming on, talk to you, blah blah blah. I, I just, I love the, his reactions and it felt very genuine to me that he was very uncomfortable. And I love the <laughs> fact that he was, un- he was clearly uncomfortable with whatever happened and he is never doing another interview like that ever again. Oh, no way. No way. He was so uncomfortable and he's on LTIR recovering. Well, they're, they're trying to manage a migraine disorder, which is tricky anyway. So the fact that he kind of put himself out there is good. But, oh, God, it was. It was cringeworthy. I was cringing on his behalf while laughing at his facial reactions because they were just amazing. Also, just don't hug strangers, folks. It's not that hard. As a very much non-hugger, I love the fact that he was uncomfortable with the hug because I would have, like, dodged. I would have gone under and, like, gotten around like, oh, what, what, what are you doing? I don't know you. I, what, what is happening right now? So shout out to him. He's my new favorite player for his reaction and his un- uncomfortability with what happened there. Um, the flyers, they seem very painfully average to me, very normal point differential. They could be a playoff team. They might not. Um, where, where are you at right now with, uh, the Philadelphia flyers? Um, yeah, I mean, that's been, that's been the entire decade for the flyers where they've just been painfully mediocre. Um, so this is their first year under new head coach, Elaine Vigneault, um, and we're seeing improvements. They're just things are moving a little bit slower than Flyers fans would like to see. So there are improvements in in net. So Carter Hart coming up, and and he's having a little bit of a, a rocky start to his career. I mean, he did play thirty something games last season, but this was the first season where it was very clear. Carter Hart, twenty one years old, he's our starter. It's, it's been a lot for him. So he started off real hot and he's had some growing pains and, and that, that's 
Oak happens. It's an 82-game season. Um, but Philadelphia is kind of nervous. I mean, they, they just haven't had a lot of luck with goaltenders in the past. So we're nervous when we see some, some stumbling from our goaltender who's been anointed the, the next Jesus, essentially. Um, in, in terms of our defense, Still pretty average. There's been a lot of struggling from guys that you expect to perform. So Shane Gostisbehere, Travis Sanheim, you expect for them both to be solid defensemen, solid offensive defensemen, and they've both been struggling a little bit. Um, And there's been a, a revolving door in the bottom pairing, whether it's Robert Haig, Samuel Moran, or now Phil Myers, we expect more out of Phil Myers than the other two, but it's been, it's been a little bit weird on defense. Now the offense, we're seeing Claude Giroux back at center, which is fine, but not ideal. Really all of the, the forward lines are suffering except for the Couturier line because Nolan Patrick has been out to start the season. As soon as Nolan Patrick is able to slot back in, as the three C we'll really see what this team can do. I think when they're all clicking and when things are going well for the flyers, they are a playoff team, but they need to, they need to get there. And we're, we're not quite seeing that yet. Why do they keep getting in shootouts? What is this fascination and obsession <laughs> they have right now with shootouts? Yeah. So it was, it was two back to back. Um, you know, let me talk about the positives here. So what we've seen in these games where they've gone to the shootout is a team that hasn't taken their foot off the gas in the third period, which is something that they've done for the past few years. So this is brand new to people who are just sick of watching the same old Flyers hockey. So we're seeing a team that is continuing to attack through the third period and that means that they're closing the gap when they're behind in games late. So we're seeing a lot of ties that they go to overtime. And again, they're, they're, we've got a new coach. He's still trying to figure out what works and what doesn't and what, what grouping of three works for the, um, the overtime. So, you know, we're, we're trying it out. Flyers are historically terrible at shootouts, but I think this year we're one for two, so that's not that bad. No, no, and uh, they might get another one tonight with the the Hurricanes. So I think the I think they should keep this going. I think they should be just a shootout team. Oh no! Please don't do that to my goalies. The, the <laughs> Hurricanes are the Hurricanes are a really good team. Uh, and that's something that feels weird to say because they haven't been until last year and they exploded onto the scene last year in the playoffs. Their defense is incredible. Their forwards are good. Uh, not a whole lot to complain about, but not many stars uh, on the, their forward core, but their defense is so good. And they're getting a lot of support from Peter Morazic. Their goaltender, who spent some time in Philly and was abysmal, but he is doing so well for them in Carolina. This is a team that that could be a legit contender, which is not something I was expecting to say as soon as the year 2019. 
Yeah. Um, Joel Farabee is is yeah. hive forming. Are are you here for this? He's moving into <laughs> the first line. Are you? Is there a hive getting together now? For for Farabee, uh, I called him ever since before he was drafted. I was calling him Frisbee. So it's taking mm. it's taking a, a little bit of my creativity to come up with um, what we need to call him. I like, I like the idea of a hive. I like the idea of a hive. I'm so excited for the kid. He, he jumped a few of the prospects who we thought we would see in the lineup sooner than we would see him. So he's, he's, um, I'm trying to say this delicately. He's got a slight build and, and we talk all the time about how hockey players need to develop physically to take the hits that happen in, in the NHL. I mean, it's just a physical league. Um, and he's, you know, he's, he's a little slight. Um, and I was really worried that he was going to get injured and, and that the NHL would be too much for him right now as he just hasn't, he's young. He hasn't really developed physically like some of the other players, but he's now he's playing with, Claude Giroux and he's succeeding and he just had his second first NHL goal um which is if you don't follow the Flyers closely you won't know what that joke is um his first goal was waved off for uh an offside uh infraction but um he just had his first NHL goal he's doing really really well and I'm I'm excited to see him with the team okay a non-fires question. Um, okay. When do we start to really worry the Lightning are not going to make the playoffs? When do well, we start to go, oh, this is real problem. This is a real thing that they that they just might not figure it out. Yeah. So I, I'm not worried about the Lightning because they have the talent to turn it around. I wouldn't start getting worried until, until I'd say February. So they're a better team. They're a better team than Montreal. They're a better team than Florida. They're a better team than Buffalo. They're even a better team than Boston. So they they should be able to figure it out. You know, 14 points in 13 games, not good enough, but it's not that big of a hole. So the Bruins are first place in the Atlantic, and they have got they've got 24 points in 14 games. So that's just a, a five game difference there they should be able to catch up it's it's going to be tough I don't know what's going on down there I would be I would not be shocked to see a change in in coach um behind the benches there I mean I, I I just I don't know what's going on but I wouldn't be worried I would say by the trade deadline if things are trending the way that they are now so that's in February and they're still in this position, then let's start to panic. But they can make up ground pretty quickly here in this division. Okay. Bigger believer in the Bruins, who are winning every game now, or the Blues? Who do you think is more likely to get back to the Stanley Cup? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, so the Blues, Tarasenko is out for... Um, I don't, I don't have his timeline up in front of me, but he had surgery. So he's out for a while. Um, but that team, 
and and the central is not a particularly strong division, especially not this year with the stars just disappointing everyone and and the jets just can't seem to find any NHL caliber defensemen. Um, But the Bruins, you know, they're, they're another really, really strong team, and I don't see them slowing down anytime soon. Um, if I had to pick between the two of them, so the Blues will have an easier path to, to the cup final, but I think Boston is the better team. Okay. I would, I, I would didn't, agree. Uh, I didn't answer yeah. the question, but that's the best you I can do. Okay. Um, <laughs> last thing, and then we got to go. Um, okay. How excited right now is Gary Bettman that Connor McDavid is on track to be in the playoffs this year? The way um, bursting onto the scene. He has got to be just fine. <laughs> I don't know. I, to be really honest, Gary Bettman is really invested in hockey in um, in in markets where. It, it's a non-traditional hockey market. So Edmonton is a traditional hockey market. I think that he is much more excited about uh, Carolina being a playoff team and Florida being a playoff team and Nashville, uh, Arizona's in right now in, in a playoff position. I think that he's a lot more excited about the non-traditional markets than he is about Connor McDavid doing Connor McDavid things. His priorities may be a little bit off. I think it's really good for hockey for Connor McDavid to be succeeding and, and showing that he actually can put a team on his back. Um, but I, I, I think Gary Bettman is, is focused on the the warmer markets. Okay. Okay. Well, is there anything we need to check out from you on um, SBNation.com this week, Steph, before we get out of here? So uh, you'll find most of my work at BroadStreetHockey.com. We do our weekly podcast, Broad Street Hockey Radio, every Wednesday night. And you can check that out on all the places where you can find podcasts. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, um, or right there on BroadStreetHockey.com. All right, Steph. I appreciate the time, and uh, we will talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks. All right, we're back on the Chase Most Podcast. After two years away, I finally got James Ham of NBC Sports back on the pod. James, good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. Uh, it's barely afternoon here in, in sunny California. Yeah, um, it is very much like the sun is setting where I am almost, and it's 3.30. Shout out to Daylight Savings Time. Yeah, shout out to Daylight Savings. That one hurt. It always hurts. Uh, see, I kind of like it. I like the fact that I, I like... See, I like the cold, and I like I, I like it being brighter early. I like that. It makes getting up easier. I don't know. I, I very much enjoy the change. I, I'm not one of those people that... Cause a, I don't like summer. Summer's my least favorite time of the year. And I don't know. I just... Everything about fall and winter, I very much appreciate and, and love. I think as you get older, it's harder and harder to, like, do the actual time change like the it you feel it for some reason you feel it differently so i I think it's maybe because you're more set in your ways and then having things like off 
you feel off like the for a day or two afterwards. So and you could move to Arizona and cover the suns, and then you would be able to get rid of this problem. Yeah, I, I burn too bad. I can't move to Arizona. Yeah, I'm t- I'm too pasty white. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I can understand. I am very much in that same boat. Um, I have a farmer's tan, which is ridiculous still, but my farmer's tan is so sad because like the difference between like my level of natural paleness to the, the tan up top is just, it's so sexy. If you compare it to someone who's even just reasonably tan, you're like, oh, that's pasty white to you. My tan is still pasty to you. Yeah. Yeah. And all I do is my freckles grow together. That's all that happens during the summer. Like I don't actually change colors. I just actually, (laughs) I I have two choices. I'm red or I'm white. And then the freckles grow together. So some people might think I got a little tan going, but it's just like the, the brown of the freckles, like expanding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, you know, it's it's over. Now you get to move past. You don't have to worry about that for a couple more months. That's true. Uh, That's true. What you have to worry about is a maybe bad Kings team that are starting to turn around, won a couple in a row, um, got off to a terrible start. Kings fans are panicking. Greg Wissinger on Twitter was uh, in the saddest of states the other night that I saw. Um, what is the current state of the Sacramento Kings? Yeah, I think it's possible Greg like wet himself at one point. Um, <laughs> you know... It's difficult. Like uh, you, you can't, you're not sure who they are yet. You aren't sure who they are and you aren't sure who Luke is as a coach. And you know, they've got talent, but you're leery uh, that, you know, it's a house of cards. And um, I, I think that what's happened here is pretty, pretty interesting to like kind of dissect. I, I think Luke um, he's really, really trying to institute an offensive and defensive set, uh, and, and try to create an identity around those things. And in order to do that, he needs them to slow down and actually think about the game of basketball, not just play at some frenetic pace that, uh, looks great on the scoreboard. Um, but come March does not equate to wins. And so in order to do that, he had to slow the whole process down uh, build them up uh, to where they have these identity pieces in place and then crank the speed back up. And uh, we haven't got to the point where he's cranked the speed back up. Um, but I also think that like you can watch De'Aaron Fox and whether he's in the open floor sprinting or he's in half court set sprinting, you can see how fast he is and he can use his speed in a different way. And I think it's teaching De'Aaron that he's learning that he can play, uh, you know, it's sort of the old coaching thing, change of directions, change of speed. That's how, how you, you get loose in football. It's how you, you play soccer. It's also how you play basketball. You need to change speed. You need to change direction. And Fox is learning that in the half court right now, which I think is really interesting. And hopefully uh, Walton sort of gets these guys in the, the running shape they need to be in and then can, you know, crank the offense back up down the road um, in the Lakers, I think where they finish fourth in the league in pace last year. So it's not like he likes to slow down, slow pace. Well, they were first that bad year before LeBron got there. That was the other thing is people expected them to run. And he like Walton's pushed the pace like he, that's what he did on that bad Lakers team the year before LeBron came. Yeah, but now they're 26th in pace. The Kings are after yeah. finishing last season in fifth. Uh I just think it, it's going to take... Dave Yeager is known for his pace. Pace and space is Dave Yeager's bread and butter. So we expected some sort of drop-off from 
um, Dave Yeager to Cedric Walton. <laughs> pace. Uh, well, I, I mean, again, I, look, I, I think what Yeager did, um, Yeager kept telling everybody the entire season last year, hey, look, when when they start learning how to play the game, we're going to slow down. So just know that we will get slower. But for right now, we're going to mask a lot of our deficiencies and sprint. And that's kind of a, it's an issue when you have a coach coming into the final year of his contract, uh, which Dave Yeager was last year. He was, you know, about to head into his final year um, because Yeager knew coming into that season that he was on a short leash and probably he thought he had around 20 games before he would get fired. And then the Kings played extremely well and started winning games and then they couldn't fire him. And then we had the whole Chris Haynes article where they were still trying to fire him. And so he tried to, he tried to win games. And sometimes that means throwing out, um, you know, the, the teaching book and going with what works for the, the roster that you have. And then maybe if I get an extension, then I'll fix all the problems. And he didn't get the extension. And so now Luke Walton is kind of dealing with the fact that um, the Kings won 39 games when I had them pegged at like 25 and the year before I, I pegged it exactly at 27. Um, I, they, they should have taken a step back and then here they are running up and down the court doing these spectacular things. Um, and that team probably should have won 43, 42, 43. They, they really did give a bunch of games away down the stretch Again, because they didn't know how to play the game of basketball when it really matters in March and April and teams start gearing up for the playoffs. Was there ever anything real, like real issues like that might extend um, or extend, like just kind of drag on throughout the rest of the season with Buddy Heald in the front office with the whole getting paid and the extension and everything else? Was that Did that ever get kind of dicey and ugly or was that all just kind of um, over a couple days and then got paid and it's all it's all wonder, water under the bridge? Yeah, I think it got dicey and ugly for like two days and and Buddy is a real emotional kid. And um, he allowed his emotions to get out in the open a couple of times, which I I don't think that was his intent. But once he started going, um, it really did kind of take off. And we saw this when he started talking about the Bahamas and he started raising money for the Bahamas. You know, the Kings put him up for a press conference and he got about three minutes into his press conference. And then it kind of went sideways. He started talking about uh you know dead bodies floating around and and everyone in the whole room is cringing like oh no you you lost your way on your message and um so we kind of saw that before that he has a he has a little bit of a difficult time staying on topic um but he ended up like throwing some barbs at the franchise and i think that's the key to vlade is that he's so chill and laid back um that he just like you know i know this is part of the process i've gone through this where you know, you think you think you're worth X amount and they think you're worth X amount and you never come to common ground or or maybe you do. Um, even like in his final two years, people forget that he went back to the Lakers on a two year, $10 million deal. And the Maloofs had played a hardball with him. And then he got the offer from from the Lakers and the Maloofs said, oh, we'll match, we'll match. So you can retire here. And he said, it's too late. I already made my commitment. And he left. Um, so I think Vlad has been through it as a player. He's been through it, um, enough with, uh, with this group. The the one thing that I think they really did have like a, a salary structure laid out that they believe that they can stay within over the next like five years while they have all these young players hit their, 
they're giant money deals. And so Buddy wanting way more than that wasn't really in the cards, especially when you look at the year before. If if he was free agent the year before, uh, he was maybe a 10, maybe $11 million a year player. And then he just had a really, really good third NBA season and broke out. Um, and so you kind of, you have to keep that in mind too. Like how much is he going to be worth on the open market? Um, and I thought the Kings, you know, they held tight, they held to their principles and they got a deal done. And I think Buddy maybe wishes he had a little bit more still, but I think he moved on pretty quickly. What is his relationship like with De'Aaron Fox? Because it seems like that is just a common thread now um, among just so many different NBA teams because this is such a guard heavy um, era that every backcourt mate, we like overanalyze the Bradley Beal, John Wall friendship. We overanalyze the CJ McCollum, Dame Lillard uh, backcourt, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, like James Harden and Chris Paul, James Harden and Russell Westbrook. We go up and down the list. This is a common thread throughout the league. Um, and it's important. They have the ball in their hands a bunch and how these two coexist and how they work on the court long-term matters. And just like if the Kings want to be a perennial playoff team, these two have to be um, all-star type players. And um, they also have to like each other. They also like to trust each other. Like, what is what is that dynamic like? I think it's really good. Actually, I just posted a story on on Monday about um, Buddy saying how he he still holds uh, De'Aaron accountable. You know, Fox Fox over the last two games while the Kings are winning ha- has taken it upon himself to be a force. Um, he's pushing the tempo. Uh, he's, he's ramming the ball down the throats of teams, including the Utah jazz, which I I mean, they funnel you to Rudy Gobert and he didn't care. He just went right at Gobert. Um, and then in the final moments of the game, uh, he did the same thing. He ran right at the middle of the key. And then at one point he dropped the ball back to Dwayne Dedman, who had gone over five from three and he drilled a three pointer, um, that gave the Kings a, like a 197 lead. And then, um, and then Fox went in and missed a shot. And then the next possession, this is all within the final minute. Uh, he drove and kicked to Nemanja Bielitsa for an open three in the corner. Bielitsa missed it. Harrison Barnes swooped in and, and scored the game winner. Um, but my point is that Fox is learning that he he can rely on his teammates and that you know the best play is for him to attack, but attack with open eyes and that's something that that buddy wants him to do it's something that you know of course luke walt wants him to do but buddy specifically like he understands that i want you to do that because it frees me it opens things up for me and i think they really do have a good relationship um they're both cocky guys uh buddy is a a big time talker uh, he actually doesn't stop talking, whether it's on the court or off the court. He's he's fun to be around, but he talks a lot. And Fox isn't quite that, but he's a lot cockier. And he knows how good he can be and how good he is he is going to be. And I think they, they have a great relationship because there's an accountability factor when it comes to being a backcourt mate. And you know, you talk about John Wall and Bradley Beal where, well, I mean, I, I think it's pretty well documented at this point that that John Wall uh, likes the nightlife. Um, mm-hmm. But but when it comes to like the Kings, I think they both respect each other because they know how hard the other one works. I mean, Buddy Heald is a tireless worker and 
so is Fox. And not only is Fox a tireless worker, but his understanding and ability to uh, take in information and process it and then turn it into game action is like stunning. He is, he is a basketball savant. And so you got one guy who really is, he he's worked so hard to get in the league and then be elite at shooting and be an elite, you know, scorer. And then you have another who just has this incredible basketball acumen uh, that, that everyone around him just looks at him and goes, Oh man, like a buddy talked about it. He's like, we need to keep him accountable now and make sure that he's doing the, he's learning the little things right now because when he gets 25, 26 and he's elite and he is one of the best point guards, if not one of the best players in the league, he needs to know this now that this is how you do it. And we're going to hold you accountable and we're going to be part of this together. Um, so I, I think their relationship is, is pretty good. And also like Bogdan Bogdanovich is in that too. Like their three guard set uh, bogey is and and buddy are really, really close. Uh, even though they share a position and um, you know, I, I think even buddy went to Serbia with uh, Bogdanovich, not this, this summer, but the summer before um, they, they are very close. And, uh, Bogdanovich is a guy who's really helped Buddy learn the game, uh, you know, to give it up and get it back and, you know, move and um, and how sort of a really elite basketball minds play the game. He's he's another heady player who, you know, plays the game a lot like he hasn't had the early season success that a, a lot of people expected coming off his World Cup performance. But a lot of people see Manu Ginobili in him, you know, sort of that jack of all trades uh player that is just so incredibly smart and knows how to win and knows how to do the th- the little things that you need on a basketball court who does vladi and the rest of that front office look at as the the franchise cornerstone is it fox still or is it bagley no i think it's fox i mean i think everyone knows it's a guard league i mean that doesn't mean that they don't they don't believe that marvin bagley can be you know like a a, a superstar because I think a lot of around the team, a lot of people see the what he can do, and you're you're in awe a lot of what he can do, you know. And I'll I'll kind of like equate this to um, to Rudy Gay, like watching Rudy Gay on it on an everyday basis during his prime. Um, there were moments where Rudy Gay did something that you just you looked at the person next to you and said, and you just man, that was beautiful. Like whether it was a a finger roll, a George Gervin finger roll, you know, something that he showed like something special that other players don't have. And, you know, he's got size, he's got length, but for some reason, like he never quite had that killer instinct. He wanted to win and he always, you know, talked about that, but there's, there's certain players in the league that, um, that when the chips are down, they, they don't find a way. And, uh, and so that's something where like you look at Marvin and he does these incredible things when he raises up in the center of the key and, and someone else goes up with him and then they start going down and Marvin's still going up and he just has this incredible length and leaping ability or when the ball comes off the rim and Marvin jumps up and tries to tip it in and doesn't go in. And before anyone else can even get off the ground for the first time, he's already on a second jump and flying above them and, and grabbing it. There are things that Marvin can do. And then I'll add the other component. And it's that Marvin has a desire and a will to win a motor, you know, all of the things that you, that you hope an elite player has. 
And uh, whether he gets it or not is going to be up to him. But I think there's a better chance that he's a guy who averages, you know, in his prime uh, 25 and 12. Uh, then, then there's a possibility that he's a 15.8 rebound guy and, you know, just like a solid NBA player, but you know, he never gets above like Joe Smith. Uh, the, the chance of him being an all-star is much greater than the chance of him being an average NBA player. And, uh, that's, you know, getting to watch him all the time. He, he is a special talent. Like I, I'm not going to say that the Kings made the right decision in drafting him over Luka Doncic, uh, Clearly, Doncic is a, is a next generation star, and I, I, but I think that you know. I have to be very quiet here because I'm about to start fubic over the Doncic stuff because Hawks fans get very mad at me whenever I talk about the Doncic Trey Young stuff. Yeah. Now, and we don't. The Kings, like you said, they get pat. They get a pass. Like the Suns and the Kings, they get a pass for taking Aiton and Bagley, two bigs, in a draft where the two league guards look like future five-time all-stars like guaranteed yeah i mean i think when you're when you're the kings though and you look at uh specifically trey young we'll just bring up trey young i mean the kings already had De'Aaron fox they weren't gonna they weren't gonna go after and they believe De'Aaron fox is gonna be you know a superstar they believe that um but when you look at uh Doncic, I mean, a lot of the reason why they didn't go after him is because they they know how high of a usage player he is um, and, and what that means. It means for a guy like De'Aaron Fox, you can't have the ball in someone else's hands the whole time while Fox is on the floor. He's just not a, a great off-ball player. And, you know, he might be able to hit some open threes here and there, but really he's a much better player with ball in his hands. So you can't have, you know, two of them running around with a, a usage of 30 um, or your, I, I guess, the Houston Rockets. I think that's what that looks like. Um, and well, then Heald's gone. And then you have to make more difficult decisions around the rest of that roster. I, I agree with that. But it also means that you're picking DRM. You're betting on DRM Fox over Luka Doncic, which um, I would say is not going to work out long term. But then again, like I think De'Aaron Fox is going to be a really good player. So they're building a team. And like the thing I've thought about the Kings going into this year too, and just with how they're drafting and how they're spending and like bringing in Deadman. Love Deadman last year. He's a really smart player. I thought the years were a little much, but bringing in Corey Joseph, guys like like they just they're never going to put someone out there who's just bad. They're never going to have like a. It's like the Pacers West to me, where every player on the floor when they're healthy, like is going to be at least at worst a solid rotational piece like they have no bad players anymore they've done a good job of assembling a lot of just smart high basketball iq guys and i think they dirt they they do deserve a lot of credit um for that Uh, but it is a risk where you're like what is the best case scenario for all these guys could any of them get in the top five in the nba could any of them be a top 10 player at their peak and that's an interesting question because most teams don't have guys like that there's 30 teams in the league and there are eight nine guys that matter and the Kings are hoping that De'Aaron Fox is one of those eight or nine guys at some point. Um, I don't know. I think De'Aaron Fox is probably like a top 15 guy at his peak. I, I don't know if he's ever going to be in the top five to eight. I don't know. It, it's close. I could see it, but I am very much confident that uh, Luka Doncic will be there. I just am not as sure about De'Aaron Fox. Yeah. And you know what? I, I was uh, I was looking at stats and I showed my son uh, yesterday Um you know, if you look at Russell Westbrook, uh, rookie season, Russell Westbrook, second season, and then Russell Westbrook, third season, 
uh, it's right on in line with what De'Aaron Fox is right now. Yes, and that's what he looks like. The it's like the stats and the eye test they kind of match up. Like his pace, the way he drives and kicks, and everything else. It's just he has a better shot. Like that's yeah. the difference. Is he if he's a better shooter and can knock down threes? I mean, if you get a better version of Westbrook, that's a really really important player. It's an MVP. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a 21 year old kid, so projecting what he might be isn't isn't easy. But you can go back and look at some players and see where their development is at specific ages. Um, and, and, you know, another thing you brought up, the the players that they brought in. Um, so they bring in Deadman, and the, the contract initially looks gaudy. Uh, and, you know, you're the king, so you have to overpay. It's also the NBA where you have to spend your money. Um, and I think they also wanted to show that they are spending money. They are committed to winning. And so spending the money was a big deal for them. Um, but Deadman's final year, uh, his third year of the contract is non-guaranteed. It's I think the Kings have like a $1.8 million or $2 million buyout. The same thing goes with Corey Joseph. Um, Trevor Reese signed a two-year deal, but the second year is non-guaranteed. Um, there's a guy in Sacramento that gets that's getting overlooked for what he's been able to do with their salary cap over the last couple of years, and that's Ken Catanella. He's really done a, a masterful job of signing short-term deals with uh, with option years for the team in the final year. And it's all, all of it is predicated on the, uh, the young players coming into their prime and needing to get paid and having some of these other contracts drop off the books. And I'll just, I'll, I'll people out there, I have a pug and anyone who has a pug uh, should know that, they aren't really dogs and they like, I don't know if you can hear him snoring in the background, but he snores. Okay. Okay. So there, there is a snoring pug in the room and um, they, they are not dogs. I I think they're somewhere between like a, a cat and a pot belly pig. And I'm not really sure, but they're interesting little creatures. So if you hear that, that's what it is. He's, he's laying about eight feet away from me, but he snores all the time. So Anyway, go ahead. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, side note, side note. Yeah. Um, how much uh, we haven't talked about Harrison Barnes and he got paid. He opted out to get paid again. And then there was that report a couple weeks ago that the, there were some people within the Kings that were already uneasy about the contract. How much validity was there to like early, just not pessimism, but concerns about paying Harrison Barnes this off season? absolutely no validity to that at all. Um, and whether the Kings are right about that or not, I mean, that's a different discussion. Um, but they successfully traded for Harrison Barnes, got him to opt out of a $25.5 million deal to take less money in year one at $24 million, and then a declining scale contract uh, that loses 8% per year. So when he's in his fourth year and He's he's 30 years old, 2930. Um, he's actually down to like 18.7 million. They are ecstatic about the contract that they got for him. They love that he can play the three and the four. Uh, they were not going to be able to sign a player like that in free agency. They have not. They haven't even been able to sign that level of player most of the time in free agency. So to get a 26, 27 year old player to opt out take less money and then take a declining scale contract through his prime, which is the same exact thing that that buddy did, Buddy took a declining scale contract, like in the middle of his prime, which you just don't see. Um, and that comes back to the Ken Catanella thing. 
um, some really crafty maneuvering. But I, I think that that whole uh, line of thinking may have been put out there by uh, people who were negotiating a contract with one of the other Kings players and wanted more money and were being told that you're not getting more money because we paid Harrison and we're hmm. going to have to pay De'Aaron and we're going to have to pay Marvin and you know this and we're going to pay Bogdanovich this summer. These are things that we know to be true and you're going to have to fit in um, or you're going to have to go test your, your worth in free agency and hope that you don't get hurt. Number one, hope that you don't have a worse season or that you don't get devalued because the coach goes to Bogdan more than he does buddy. You know, there are a lot of variables that we're playing out here for, for buddy healed. And at the end, I, I think the Kings holding a hard line and getting him for the price that they got him was actually, you know, really, really smart. And they did a good job in, in their negotiating. Um, but you know, there was no one, no one that I've run into who said that we regret the Harrison Barnes thing. Would they have liked to have got him for less? Everyone would like to get players for less money, but the reality of the situation is that, you know, the Kings were all in on getting Otto Porter as well. And that guy's making what, 27, 28 million this year. They were willing to pay, you know, they know that they have a young core, and they needed a stable second or third contract guy to help, uh, you know, solidify what they're doing. And whether you love Harrison Barnes or not, I'll tell you this. He's so much better defensively than I thought he would be. Um, he does the little things. And on top of that, he's one of those players that sort of has a feel for the game and says, OK, my team can't do this tonight, so I'm going to go do that. And I think that's a good thing. You know, the Kings right now with Marvin Bagley out, they can't score in the post. So all of a sudden you're seeing Harrison Barnes, you know, go go get down to the block and, and and do some really nice post moves over the top of smaller guys. Um, you know, if they're they're shooting too many three pointers, which one game they shot 46 three pointers against uh, Charlotte. Well, about midway through the third quarter, you saw Harrison Barnes just take the ball to the rim every single time he got it. And he was the one guy who just wasn't like giving in to like all they want us to do is shoot threes. But if you're only going to hit 14 of them, you shouldn't be shooting 46. Um, so, again, I, I think Harrison Barnes, while he's never going to be a superstar, uh, he's not even going to be a star. What he can be is a star role player. And that's why the Kings, you know, went after him. In the starting rotation, he is the fourth option. And Dwayne Dedman or whoever's playing center is the fifth option. There's no question that De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, Marvin Bagley are your your first three options. and if you have someone who's solid and can do a lot of different things, who's versatile, which Barnes is, I think that's why they really like what they got. And he's a guy who plays 82 games a year. He stays healthy. Um, he works on his body tirelessly. He also shows young players how to maintain their bodies so they can play uh, years and years beyond what you know most players do. And um, a little bit in the same way that that the Hawks, uh, you know, Vince Carter does. Vince Carter is is what he does to keep his body in shape is remarkable, um, but it, it's dedication and it's why he's still playing at 42. We haven't talked about Harry Giles and I do have questions probably off air about the Harry Giles stuff, but he <laughs> did not, I, I, cause you know, uh, just, uh, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll keep that uh, off air, but um, it was interesting to me that he did not get his option picked up. You can't pay everybody. It's hard to pay everybody, but 
I I guess I had talked myself into just the Harry Giles Bagley combination and like what that could be, especially Harry Giles just being such a great story. And just those two seem like two guys that actually could play the four and the five in today's NBA and just really liked what I saw from Harry Giles, especially last year. And um, I don't know. It seems like he's going to be on another team and he's going to be going elsewhere. I'd actually really like him on the Hawks. If he was starting over Alex Lynn, that would be a great thing. Um, it's only fair. You took Deadman, So the Hawks should get uh, Harry Giles by proxy. Um, Some reciprocation. I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were you surprised at all that they did not pick up his option that Harry Giles, the experiment is over? Um, surprised in the way that it happened. Uh, not surprised in the actual dynamic of it uh i got the feeling the night before that that was going to happen and uh i actually broke that story that morning and it was not one of those stories that you want to break um harry is a charismatic kid and he's a super sweet kid um but somewhere along the way uh and i think there's a ton of blame to go around with everybody here and but somewhere along the way he wasn't able to uh to do the work or he did not do the work that they expected of him this off season. And, uh, I think it showed up in a California classic and, and summer league where he showed up and he couldn't play. Uh, and that was sort of strike one. Um, and then strike two was showing up to camp and not being ready. And I, I'm not sure fully what not being ready means. We haven't had someone go on the record and say very specifically, um, that this kid did this or this kid did that. Um, but what they, they did say is that, uh, he showed up and on day one in the first few minutes of, of training camp, he started experiencing knee pains and he wasn't ready. Oh man. Yeah. And so he sat down and so they put him on, on the sidelines and, uh, they sort of started over back at square one. And so, uh, when he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, he has done a good job of keeping the pain out of the knee. Uh, and when, uh, if he's not doing, if he's not following through with what he has to do, uh, then, you know, these things can happen. And he's a kid who's had bilateral ACL tears. Uh, so he's torn the ACL on both knees. Uh, he's also had a clean out and his left knee. And, you know, I, there's a dynamic in play here that, you know, it goes beyond um, a normal situation. And that is that uh, that Harry Giles from like age probably 12 or 13 was the best player, like by far. Like when he went to Team USA as a 15-year-old, when he was on the U15 team and he blew his knee out in international play, he was the number one prospect in all of all of college, all of high school basketball. I mean, he was every step of the way. He was the guy that everyone expected to be a star when he got to the league. And I think that that's hard. It's hard to reckon with who you were supposed to be and who you might need to be now. And, uh, you know, whether he still has all of the physicality of uh, the, uh, the athleticism that that he had as a young player, I, I just don't. I don't think he does. I, I, there are days where he's got springs in his legs, and other days where he doesn't. And a lot of that is because of, um, you know, just injuries and an accumulation of injuries. And so, if Harry decides to figure out how he can be himself with the body that he has now and be a productive NBA player and be that guy. 
Um, I think he can have a long NBA career. Um, guys like Danny Manning, uh, Kenyon Martin, Amari um, Stoudemire all had uh, bilateral ACL tears. Um, and I think two of them played 14 years. One of them played 15. So it's not like this isn't – that's why the Kings took a gamble on him at 20. And they took a gamble on him at 20 when they knew that Kyle Kuzma was a player and they loved him. And he came in and he blew up his workout in Sacramento. And every single one of the uh, the coaching staff at that time were friends with Larry Kristowiak, his college coach. They knew exactly who Kyle Kuzma was. They took a gamble on Harry because they thought the potential to be there was higher. Now they've kind of, I mean, the, the surprising thing is it is $4 million for next year. And I thought that they would at least go for that and pick it up. But they're more of the mode that, like, look, we're not closing the door on Harry Giles. But if he's going to be with us, he's going to have to work for it. And he's got to show us that this is who and what he is. And if he can't get to that level, then, you know, we're going to pass on him and he can go find somewhere else. Um, and, you know, they've kind of like locked themselves in because all they can do is go up to that $4 million one-year deal that they have left. They can't give him any more than that. And uh, and so there's a good chance he will be on another team. But, um, you know, again, he's played 58 games in his career, and this is his third NBA season. And you hope that he can get get there, but you just you just don't know. It's a, it, it was a $4 million risk that I think the Kings – when you went out and signed Rashawn Holmes to a two-year, uh, $10 million deal, you realize that $4 million actually does mean a lot in the NBA. And you can go out. It's a difference between having a bottom basement, uh, you know, NBA minimum guy versus a guy that you can extend a little bit more and get a guy in who's better than that and that can, might be able to fit in your rotation. Um, so they pulled the plug. I Again, I wasn't. I was surprised that it happened. I wasn't surprised because I saw it coming the day before. That that's sort of you know, and disappointed. Like I was like, okay, the reason you're not telling me that you're picking up player options tomorrow is because you're not picking up one of the player options, and you're certainly going to pick up De'Aaron Fox, and you're certainly going to pick up Marvin Bagley, and everybody in Sacramento already knew they weren't going to pick up Caleb Swanigan's contract. So you're kind of left with the hmm. All right. Let me pre-write that story because that's coming. Well, I'm excited for uh, Harry Giles. Harry Giles on the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. Um, so I appreciate the Kings doing this. He's a great passer, and he plays with force, and he's he, he's got he a shoot. ton of energy. He, his yeah. his 18-foot jumper, you know who his 18-foot sh- sh- uh, his jumper looks like to me now? It's mm. it's Chris Webber. Uh, so oh, when, God. when Chris Webber used to catch the ball in the high post, he would swing the ball through and pivot around and face the basket uh, he would either hit a cutter right over the top of you, or he could just rise up right then and it was already gone. That's what he looks like to me. It's that that instant 18, 20 foot jumper that's in it. Like there's no question it's going in a huge percentage of the time. Um, but in today's NBA, you got to be able to stretch the floor, especially when you got Marvin Bagley out there. And I think the Kings also see that as an issue. Like how do we fit these two on the court long term together? Oh, man. Well. Um, the last thing I want to wrap up here, um, with the Kings, I, there's just so little room for air in the West, as you're very familiar with, um, James to just get off to a bad start. You just can't like every game matters. Um, but the West is weird right now. The Rockets playing 500 basketball, like 
the Kings aren't out of it, I don't think. They can still very easily climb their way back into the playoff picture. Do you think it's still, based on what you've seen from rest of the teams in the West, that this is a team with Luke Walden and with their with just the way this roster is currently constructed and the way they're playing, do you think this is a playoff team this year? Do you Is your gut telling you that this is a team that will still figure it out, pick up the pace, and will um, be good enough uh, to get an 8th or 7th seed in the West? Coming into the season, I said without any question, I thought they were a playoff team. Um, I thought they could win 45 games with a cap of like 48. Um, and, and I think the West is going to cannibalize itself a little bit. And so you're going to see a lot of that. Um, I, I still believe, like, even though the 0-5 start, it was stunning. Um, but if you really go back and look at the 0-5 start, you're talking about opening night against uh, a Phoenix Suns team that all of a sudden is 5-2. Um, and looks much better. Um, but then you had Portland followed by a back to back against Utah, a home and road back to back, uh, followed by the Denver Nuggets, um, a, you know, two days later. So just those three games, you probably should have looked at and said, okay, Portland loss, flying to Utah loss, flying home on Sunday for a Monday game against Denver, whether it's at home or not, loss. Um, so is there a shock between? You know, starting the season at 0 and 5 and and 2 and 3, there are two games you probably should have won. Yeah, it's it's jarring either way. But then you go into the next the next five game set and you beat the Utah Jazz at home. Okay, uh, then you take care of business against the Knicks on the road. Okay, so if you can somehow beat the Toronto Raptors and then beat the Atlanta Hawks, next thing you know, you're 4 and 5, and the 0 and 5 start doesn't mean anything. And I, I really do believe that like Twitter feeds the beast, like the, the sky is falling has been like, it's so dramatic on Twitter. King's Twitter is nuts. I love them, but man, they are emotional. Um, the fucking playoffs. That's it. They just want to get over this hump. That's it. I can't blame them. 13 years, man. And, and Hey, this is my 10th season. Uh, before last season, just so people can keep this in perspective, before last season, my best year, my best year was 33 and 49. So in my best year, Jeez. not my worst, I wrote 49 losing game recaps. <laughs> 49. I walked into the locker room seeing the look of defeat so many times, even at home, on the road, wherever it may be. Um, I have covered, I mean, my win-loss record, like as a writer, is got to be one of the worst ever. Uh, so it's your fault. Uh, maybe it is my fault. Maybe it is my fault. Maybe 10 years, uh, 10 years a King's writer is is all uh, I need and that I need to walk away and go cover something else after this year if, if it all falls apart. Um, but look, I, I think let's just factor in like a handful of things. Uh, getting two and a half days of training camp and then boarding a, a plane for India for six days um, and flying of that six days, you flew like, I think almost like 45 hours in the air. Uh, it's just absolutely brutal. Um, they got back, like three guys were sick and one was hurt. Uh, and so that played out after, over a couple of days. They didn't get in all of the play sets that they wanted to because guys were missing. They really, in the preseason, they got banged up. Guys were, were down, Ariza missed time, uh, Corey Joseph missed time. And then you get to game one and Marvin Bagley breaks his thumb and he's out four to six weeks. So I really like Luke Walton has a, a huge task in front of him. 
um, and his track record in in LA wasn't great. But at the same time, I, you know, I think he's a young coach. He brought in some interesting assistants and in like Igor Kukoskov and uh, Bob Byers, and you know, they they do have some like really good knowledge there. Uh, and I think they're trying to do things the right way. I, I, I'm not giving up on the Kings bouncing back and somehow making it to the playoffs this year. Um, and uh, the reason I think that is um, OKC is is clearly on the downswing. Um, I projected at Golden State to win 38 games before Steph Curry got hurt. Uh, that team is going to be lucky if they win 25 uh, at this pace. And, I mean, that's being brutally honest. Um, and I don't think Phoenix is as good as they're playing right now. I don't think Dallas is as good. I think Minnesota is always up for a, a major downswing where they look like trash for six weeks. And you're like, all right, well, there they, they go. Uh, I, I think the door is still open. And that's even like, can San Antonio maintain and still be, you know, the Spurs? I just don't know. So I, I think that... Early but, returns are good. Yeah, yeah. But early returns, I mean, that team is you got to see where they're at at midseason. You got to see where they're at, you know, coming into the final 20 games. If they're close in the final 20 games, they'll make it. But, you know, it's an old team. You know, they've got some young guys that, that are trying to infuse life into it. But uh, I think that that's a vulnerable spot as far as playoff seating. And so I think if if Luke turns up the volume a little bit and if they uh, they they pick up a couple of wins that, you know, Again, they've already picked up one of the two losses that you didn't expect when they, they beat the Utah Jazz. Um, you just kind of got to look at the schedule that way and start plugging away. All right. Well, James, this has been great catching up on all things Kings and just life in general, man. Um, let's not make it two years before the next time we chat. Yeah, that's ridiculous, man. Come on. Yeah, that's on me. That's on me. <laughs> Bad job by me. Um is, is there anything we should check out from you uh, this week um, before we get out of here? Yeah, yeah. Um, for podcast listeners, we have the Purple the Purple Talk podcast now. Uh, we rebranded over the last couple of uh, episodes um, from the old Kings Insider podcast, uh, which I've had for like eight years between that and Cowbell. Um, yeah, so I've had a podcast running for about eight, eight years. Um, uh, some good stuff. Uh, interviews with Grant Napier, uh, interviews with De'Aaron Fox, um, we're adding a video component this year, which is awesome. Um, we got good stuff coming up. Page is coming up. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich is coming up. Um, so the podcast is always cool. And you can find me on Twitter at James underscore ham NBCS. Um, yeah. And, and NBC sports where I write NBC sports, California or Bay area. Um, I've, you know, covered this team for many, many, many moons. Um, hoping for some good stuff here. Well, let's let's fing, fingers crossed. And if not, you can always go to the ace. You can just transition into a baseball writer. There it is. And then you can. I mean, maybe that like it's a reverse jinx where they can get out of a wild card game. Yeah, but see, so I, that would work. I, I grew up an A's fan. I would hate to like be the jinx that that took that to the A's, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. they're no good. So I think yeah. I think I'll just stick to hoops. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I went rolled out. Um, James, I appreciate it. As always, we will talk again soon, sir. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran. 
Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.